Well, before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, only your word heard, and only your word lived. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. Well, today we heard uh, one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, uh, the passage in Corinthians on love. And one of the reasons it's so famous is because it's a classic at any wedding. I mean, the passage is beautiful and it talks about love. And Paul is super poetic in this chapter. Um, if you've read much of Paul, you know that uh, that is not true of him usually. Yet here, he writes so beautifully on love. This passage is also really famous because it's not really um, it's not really Christiany. You know, if you if you read it on its own, it's just beautiful literature, and that's why it's often used on occasions where lofty sentiments and beautiful literature um, are needed that don't have an overt Christian uh, statement. Uh, but what we want to discuss today is that this text actually can't be understood unless it's placed in context. You see, church was writing, uh, Paul was writing to a church who had many gifts, but doesn't know how to love. And so what Paul is writing is about love in a church setting. And yet, it has important implications for our lives everywhere. And that's why it's important for us to understand uh, what Paul is saying. And, you know, this really matters because, you know, one of the biggest objections, I mean, over the years that I've spoken to non-Christians or people who are exploring faith and spirituality and Christianity is that they object to the Christian faith. They object to Jesus because they can sort of think and recognize how often the church has failed to love. I mean, historically, they point to things like the Crusades or colonialism. And even in our modern history, we're learning about residential schools. But even if you, um, if you, if you take, you know, walk away from that sort of broad historical understanding, you just look at the local church. I mean, how many times have people visited a local church and they felt that the churches are cliques? You know, that the church might say they're welcoming, and yet when they attend, the new people don't feel welcome. They don't feel like they belong. And so if we don't understand what Paul is saying about love here, then the world is right. We won't know how to love, and we're going to repeat the same sins of the past. And what Paul warns us, the ultimate tragedy, is that we won't be known by God. And so that's, what this, that's why this matters, and that's why we're going to talk about it today. You know, as I was uh, preparing for uh, this Sunday, I was reading uh, on Thomas Merton, and he uh, relates this uh, story from his time at a boarding school where the chaplain of the school would often give a uh, homily on this uh, chapter of love. And this is how uh, Thomas Merton describes his chaplain. He says that he was a tall, powerful, handsome man with graying uh, at the temples and a big English chin and a broad, uncreased brow with sentences like, I stand for fair play and good sportsmanship written all over it. And to uh, Merton's chaplain, love was equated with being a gentleman. So in other words, love meant uh, good sportsmanship, cricket, the decent thing, 
wearing the right kind of clothes, using the proper spoon, not being a cad or a bounder. And what his chaplain would say is that one might go through the whole chapter of St. Paul and simply substitute the word gentleman for love wherever it occurred. So you could read the passage and you'd read it, a gentleman is patient, a gentleman is kind, a gentleman envieth not, dealeth not perversely, is not puffed up, a gentleman never falleth away. And so Thomas Merton reflecting on uh, that homily, on his teaching from the chaplain, this is what he writes. The apostles would have been rather surprised at the concept that Christ had been scourged and beaten by soldiers, cursed and crowned with the thorns and subjected to unutterable contempt, and finally nailed to the cross and left to bleed to death in order that we might all become gentlemen. You know, Thomas Merton, that famous mystic and social activist and poet, he's right. It's not about being a gentleman. That's not what Paul is talking about. Because love is not about shoring up our deficiencies. I mean, the gap is too wide between who we can be and real love. I mean, do what the chaplain uh, try to do. Place your name in that passage instead of love and then read it out loud. Ideally, read it out loud to your spouse or maybe to a trusted friend that will tell you the truth and go ahead and read it. I mean, I can put my name in there. Seth is patient. Uh, Seth is kind. Seth is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Seth does not insist on his own way. Seth is not irritable or resentful. I can feel my wife rolling her eyes because that's, that's not me. I mean, I know that. Listen, if you do that, if you're honest, you're going to cringe because we know that uh, all those beautiful lofty statements don't define us. That's not who we actually are. We're, we're human. We have, our capacities have limits. And if we were to be held to uh, this standard, we wouldn't be considered loving. But if you place the name of Jesus in that list, suddenly it works, right? Suddenly it makes sense. You know, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. I mean, you read the whole thing with Jesus there. It works because the love Paul is talking about is the love found in Jesus. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, the beloved apostle, Jesus' best friend, tells us what love is. And this is what he writes. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is Jesus dying on the cross. And that's, that is so wildly different from what we can do, right? Jesus' love isn't like our love, but more intense. It's not like we're hot sauce and then Jesus is spicier hot sauce. It's radically different. It's of a different order than human love. You know, Archbishop Rowan Williams puts it like this. It's a matter of the world around us being a place where love is conditional. Human love is conditional, right? I love you if you share my likes. I love you if you share my values, my politics. I love you if you're like me. That's human love. It's conditional. 
But the love of God is so incredibly different from what we think of as love because Jesus on the cross means that God's love is a love that perseveres when it's not returned, is a love that is extravagantly poured out on the unlovable. And in case you're wondering, the unlovable is us. I mean, think about this. God exists in eternal and unapproachable light, so vastly different from our world. And yet having made our world, God loves it. God loves us without reserve, without condition. You know, one of the early Christian fathers of the church, Clement of Alexandria, said that human love is always tending to slip back into the love of what is common among people. But there's nothing in common between God and the world. So God's love for the world is extraordinary, without cause, absolutely free, absolutely overwhelmingly unreasonable. And that's the kind of love we are invited to become a part of. The truth is, if we're not part of this love, we'll easily slide into the common, the human, the conditional. Love for, for those who are just like me. And that's not the way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, if you only have human love animating what you do, then no matter how much good you do, no matter how many people you feed, no matter how many, no, uh, how many systems of oppression you fight against, or how many Bible studies you lead, or how many sermons you preach, if you don't have the love of Jesus at the center of your life, your significance before God is evacuated. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. If I don't have the love of God at the center of my life, if you don't have the love of God at the center of yours, you know, we might be successful, we might get results, we might be admired, we might get applauded. But as far as God and eternity are concerned, I am nothing. That's the message. Now, depending on where you are on your spiritual journey, Jesus defining love makes sense, right? Or you're not really feeling what Paul is sharing. You're not feeling what I'm sharing. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. You know, and I get that. Jesus setting the terms of engagement can be unsettling. We saw that in our gospel reading today. Jesus shows up to teach at his hometown synagogue, and everyone's excited to hear from Jesus. You know, from John's gospel, we know that Jesus has been doing miracles for a year before he returned to his hometown. And so they hear him read from that famous passage in Isaiah, and they hear him say that those promises are being fulfilled right there in front of him. And this sounds great because they had a vision, they had an idea, they have a, defin a definition of what the fulfillment of that promise looked like. You know, defeat the Romans, uh, give us political independence, make us greater than those unclean gen uh, Gentile kingdoms around us. 
right? And so verse 22 of our gospel reading, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. You know, what a quick switch, you know. Notice that first they liked what they heard, and yet almost immediately they didn't trust Jesus. They cared more, more about how they defined things than what God was doing. You know, they want to... Uh, they want to see signs. They want to see wonders here and now in their own village. You know, they had their own vision, their own definitions. They had little interest in the larger context of God's saving love for the whole world. They're content with their understanding and aren't actually interested in Jesus defining any terms. You know, they believe the promises of God, the love of God is for them, not for those Gentiles. So barbarous, so violent, so unclean. And so they feel they're doing the right thing. And why isn't God showing up? And what is Jesus even talking about? Who cares? And so Jesus reminds them of Elijah, the prophet who saved the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile. And he also reminds them of Elisha, the prophet who healed Naaman, the Gentile general. You see, these prophets served the Gentiles because the people of Israel were hard of heart and disobedient to the word of God. In fact, the people killed the prophets way more than they ever listened to them. And Jesus' hometown didn't like being compared to their disobedient ancestors. And so typically, they try to kill Jesus. But in an ambiguous way, he moves right past them. You know, perhaps the only miracle they got was precisely the one they didn't want. Jesus miraculously getting away from their murderer's hands. They didn't understand Jesus or get the point of his role in history of his saving love for them and the whole world. That's actually the tragedy. And here's the point. If we don't let Jesus define love, if we don't let Jesus set the terms of engagement, we're headed for the same tragedy. That's why we can't take the 1 Corinthians 13 passage and read it out of context. It's a word meant to a dysfunctional church in Corinth, but it actually applies to every church because the church is not a harbor for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, for people who are hurt, and hurt people hurt people. That's why St. Paul paints a picture of the person who is moved and filled with the love of God. By doing that, he throws into relief the self-centeredness of much Corinthian and modern church life. Only the love of God keeps us in a deep experience of his complete acceptance of us as we are. And only in that safe embrace of the love of God can enable us to face up to our self-centeredness and then renounce it. In the love of God, there is no place for asserting our rights, despising our gifts, envying our brothers and sisters, or treating them insensitively. The love of God in Jesus turns us towards the needs and interests of others. And there is no local church anywhere which does not need the love of Jesus for this very basic purpose. It's not human love that is meant to animate us, but the love found in the life, the death, resurrection, and ascension 
of Jesus. Listen, if you, you know, you're hearing uh, this talk and you still feel that the love you've been working with is, you know, it's good enough. You know, if you still feel that, you know, the first words of verse eight should dispel that notion. Paul says, love never fails. You know, the Greek word for fails, pipto, literally means falls or collapses. This love never folds under pressure of the most intense and sustained kind. Because this love didn't fail on the cross. This love, Jesus Christ, forgave as he was being murdered. And this love continues through death into eternity. This is the love of God. You know, in order to understand how much this matters, Paul highlights the three greatest gifts of that ancient church community. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge. And each of these either become irrelevant or swallowed up in the perfection of eternity. You know, verse 10, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. The temporal gives away to the everlasting. Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know, in church, if you have gifts, you know, that's wonderful. We the fact that we have gifts are wonderful, but all of them are a partial revelation into the nature and purposes of God. So every gift is valuable, but the heartbeat of our relationship with God is that he knows us, not vice versa. What matters is that we are made to know to be known uh, to God in the love of Jesus. And if we are found in the love of Jesus, then one day we shall also know him as we trust in the love of God revealed in the cross of Christ. You know, if we trust that his death on the cross is a gift for us, a gift of love and life for the whole world, that all should turn to him in repentance and faith, then we will be found in his love forever. Because his love never fails. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we praise you and we thank you for your many blessings. And we thank you for how much you love us. And God, we pray that as we consider your word and uh, learn to what, what love actually means, I pray that we may take your definition of love and put that at the center of our hearts, that we may let go of um, you know, modern and common human notions of a conditional love. And that, that love that you grant us and that you give us may be a, a fountain of love for those around us and our family, our friends, our very community. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.